You're listening to The Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, former prep course ops superintendent and current special reconnaissance training guru, Trent Segmiller. Are you looking for the perfect rehydration drink to support your active lifestyle? Well, my friends, look no further than Hoist. Hoist is there for you whether you're going to use it pre-workout, in the middle of your workout, in between sets, after workout, maybe if you're traveling, if you feel that dehydration headache sneaking up on you, or maybe if you just had a late night the night before and you need to reset and get back after it. With three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with half the sugar and no high fructose corn syrup, no artificial preservatives, sweeteners, or dyes, Hoist is BPA-free, it's kosher, and most importantly, it's made in the USA, baby. We all use Hoist, and I can't speak highly of it enough. Whether I'm doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I'm out doing tactical operations, or I'm in the gym trying to make sure that I'm harder to kill, Hoist is always there to support me. With five delicious flavors you can pick up at your local grocery store or gas station, I love the dragon fruit, but you can try the orange, watermelon, peach mango, or strawberry lemonade. Hoist knows that you don't do normal things and you might be out in the wilderness on a hunt or you might be on a long ruck. Well, they hear you and they've also got three delicious powder packs that you can mix in water anytime you want it. Peach mango, grape, and that fruit punch is that hitter for those packets. So go check them out. If you need IV level hydration for your normal everyday to day activity or if you're trying to get after it, working two workouts a day, Hoist is there to support you. Go check them out. I'm not sure if that was the worst clap of all time, but my clap was pretty weak and I'm not feeling great about myself. But what I am feeling great about is our guest this week. His name is uh, Jeb Halfacre. I don't know if you know this, but he's the swimmer of the decade at some college that he went to a long time ago. Of the decade, right Uh, away. Swimmer of the decade. He he, opened with that. That He came up on camera. Yeah. It's actually his name on the Zoom. It's pretty pretty (laughs) awesome. It says swimmer of the decade. S-O-T-D. Just Google it. And uh, I'm pretty sure his, his picture will pop up. But uh, we want to bring him on here and talk about the pipeline, swimming, give you all some some great advice and uh, kind of, you know, go through his journey and see if you can pick out anything useful. If you can't see my face, if you're only listening, that was like a sarcastic face, the whole journey thing. I'm a little bit of a hippie, but that's enough about me. Jeb, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on, brother. Hey, what's up, guys? So uh, let's start it out. Baby Jeb. Why did baby Jeb get thrown in the pool and become the swimmer of the decade? Uh, Baby Jeb started off as a swimmer in Cleveland, Ohio in a full snowsuit and uh, he jumped in the pool and kind of sank to the bottom and my mom didn't realize it for at least a couple of minutes. Uh, And then the the swimmer she was coaching like kind of saw me just hanging out on the bottom and um, my first experience with a pool grew up around it the whole time. My mom was a really good swimmer. Uh, my dad was also a really good swimmer. I think my mom was an American record holder back in the late seventies. My dad was a national champion, kind of bred for it in a way. No big deal. Uh, Listen, as, as a guy that has to fight his terrible genetics and find excuses for my shortcomings my entire life, I'm going to tell you that genetics do matter and you, you're doing great so far. So dad was a national champion. Mom was an American record holder record holder where in now I heard you say Cleveland where in uh where in Northeast Ohio did you compete oh here we go Ohio so Listen, I moved out of Ohio when I was four oh I, never mind then continue your story baby Jeb <laughs> <laughs> moved down to Gainesville um grew up in Gainesville Florida 
uh, Florida man through and through. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just kind of traveled all over, uh, growing up, getting better as I got older. Didn't really take swimming too seriously. It was kind of like a, a lifestyle thing that somewhat kept me out of trouble as a kid. Um, you know, it was a good way to take like four hours out of the day to, uh, you know, have eyes on me at all times. So like I wasn't getting in too much trouble. Um, swim at Florida for a year. I think it was kind of a uh, tip of the hat to my mom because she was a big time gator swimmer. I wasn't that good when I graduated high school. So the coach was like, yeah, we're doing this for your mom. Like we kind of owe her. And uh, kind of a wild man. Didn't really, uh, I knew all the real ways to like get in trouble in Gainesville. So finally the coach was like, all right, dude, you're done. I can't handle you anymore. Like, you know, I'm tired. I'm tired of the cops getting called on you. So I was like, all right, cool. So uh, I was what they call, I think it's called a NARP. Is that what it's called? A non-athletic regular person. Yeah, it's a NARP. (laughs) I was a NARP for two weeks. Kind of lived La Vida Loca doing the whole college thing. And I was like, man, I'm kind of tired of this, but you know, I know, I know I had more left in the tank in terms of like, what was, uh, what I was meant to do. So I transferred down to a small D2 school called Florida Southern. Uh, I swam for an old, not, he wasn't old, but he was an old family friend of mine. Um, and, uh, I ended up having a super late growth spurt. I was the same height I am now, but, um, when I went down there, I was like 147 pounds and probably within a year I was 190. And, uh, yeah, so I got, I got real big. Um, also got kicked out of that school, but, uh, they, uh, they let me back in after I won their first, the swimming, swimming's first national championship. (laughs) And they were like, hey, you know, like, you're a good kid. Uh, we really like your swimming abilities, so we'll let you come back. And then uh, all I did while I was, you know, at home under uh, house arrest, basically, for my mom was um, lift weights. And I think I swam like 1,000 meters a day. So then I got up to like 200, put on another 10 pounds, uh, came back, and then through Florida Southern, I dialed it in got real mature, understood, like I had a job to do, uh, ended up winning seven more, no, six more national titles. So seven total, uh, broke a couple NCAA records, nothing really like too crazy. Cause it sounds cool, but it's all division two. Right. But, uh, you know, it looks cool on a resume cause you don't have to distinct like, you know, division two, division one. So uh, it looks good. Um, went to Olympic trials, Swam against Ryan Lochte, Michael Phelps. I've known Ryan for a super long time, so I got a deep swimming room. Um, And then as I was getting ready to graduate college, I was like, oh, man, what do I want to do? And then, I, you know, of course, I don't know if this happens to everybody, but I was like, oh, yeah, I want to be a Navy SEAL. And uh, Don't we all? <laughs> I'm still thinking about cross-training. Yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. I wouldn't make it there either. <laughs> so, uh, but it, it was weird, right? So I, through like family friends or like some weird, like four degrees of separation, I ended up getting in touch with uh, an instructor at 
the prep course in Great Lakes for uh, Naval Special Warfare. And I was asking him, I was like, hey, what's the best way to like become a SEAL? Do I want to become an officer? Do I want to enlist? And he kind of told me all this. And I still hadn't graduated yet. But uh, I get a call from this phone number I don't recognize. I'm in like, I think it was college algebra or something like that. Like it was a class that I had to take for my major to graduate. So I'm in there with, I'm a senior and I'm in there with all these freshmen who are like on their phones, annoyed as crap. Cause they're like, Oh my God, I took this back when I was a junior in high school. And I was like, well, freaking help me out. Cause I'm totally lost. You know, <laughs> but I get this call and it's this guy. He's like, Hey, probably not, I'm not going to name names, but he was like, Hey, uh, you know, I heard you talk to one of my instructors. We need a swim coach up here. Heard you're interested in being a Navy SEAL. You know, why don't you uh, come up here? You can get all the, like, you can train, you get pro dev, you get to work out like hours a day, you can work out with the students. And then, so that way you can kind of get a behind the scenes look at what you need to do. And then, you know, you help us out, we help you out. And I was like, all right, wow, this is too cool. This is like too crazy, you know? Um, so I ended up taking that job, worked up there for about a year and a half, um, kind of really, well, first recruiters, some recruiters, they're not the best. The Navy recruiter ended up not calling me back, right? So I was like, oh, well, the Navy doesn't want me. Wow, so, you got ghosted you know, by a recruiter. That has to hurt. Like when you get ghosted by a person that's whole life is like uh, contingent upon bringing you into their service, that one's got to be tough, right? Right, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, man, you know, and, um, but, uh, so I thought I wanted to get back into competitive coaching. Um, so I started coaching around Chicago. I, I left, I left the prep course, started coaching around Chicago. Uh, and then I got a job. I think I did that for about two years. And then when I was 26, I got a job at Miami university of Ohio in Oxford, Ohio, just outside Cincy. Um, and then that was a, a, a brutal wake up call. Cause I was like, wow, I really don't want to do this. And I reached out to one of my old contracting buddies who was a strength coach at NSW and the same company was in the process of um, getting the contract to build air force prep. And uh, then I came down there. I think, I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think the contract was signed yet. And I already like moved down there. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was, I, I kind of helped. I mean, I don't know, Trent, what would you say? I, I helped build air force prep, right? Yeah. You were a day one guy. Yeah, I got but like I got, I got he's not kidding. Baby. I think this the contract may have been signed like five minutes before we started working with students. So like we all met up in a field and like the students showed up and we were like, I guess we're doing this. And right. somebody somebody's like, hey, hey, did that uh, did that did that contract get signed? Oh, it did. Okay, now everybody drop. Are you guys You're getting all... paid? I don't know. <laughs> Are you guys getting paid? All right, cool. But um, yeah, so yeah, the contract was signed minutes beforehand. Um, showed up kind of took uh, a lot i'll say we'll, we'll take the skeleton of what we were doing at nsw and kind of worked it around uh what the air force needed uh spent a lot of time at indoc with uh you know some of the some of the you distinguished know, gentlemen distinguished gentlemen over at indoc and they were like do you see what's happening do you see what you need to do and I was like, yeah, sorry. And I'm taking notes like crazy. I think I filled up a whole green book. 
um, of notes, just trying to trying to help build the, the, the water confidence program. Cause that was something we didn't do at NSW, especially like mask and snorkel recovery. And, you know, we did some of the knot tying, um, but the, the harassment that goes on at, at Indoc, well, I guess it, in specifically WaterCon was not something we were allowed to do in the Navy. Uh, so that took a little getting used to. I got, I had to, I really had to get strong at thrashing dudes. But uh, <laughs> as I was working there, you know, I was, I, you know, I started working there and I thought, I thought the Air Force only had PJs, right? And um, then I started finding out about all the other different AS, AFSCs and I, and I heard about combat control. I was like, damn, that sounds cool as hell. But I was like 28 at the time. I was like, oh, I'm too old, you know, I'm too old to be doing this stuff. But, uh, you know, talking to Trent and some of the other instructors there and some of the other older retired guys, um, you know, I got super motivated. I started working out. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, I told her I was like, hey, I think I think I want to join the Air Force and be a combat controller. And she's like, OK, um, cool. <laughs> Are you going to be? How many times does she regret that? You know, even up to now, does she? Well, does she luckily, luckily, she she. I don't know if ignorance is bliss, but in that moment, it was because she was like, "Yeah, you can do this, but as long as we retire back to Kentucky." And I was like, Pfft. "Okay." Uh, my hand was nice. it. Um. Yeah, and it was uh, it was the greatest decision I ever made. It's, I think it's the greatest job in the world. Yeah, it's not bad. There are definitely. Uh, I mean, you know, pro athlete. Rockstar. I mean, that's definitely number three. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be a pro athlete. Most. Can we can we go back to when you got kicked out of Florida? What did your mom and, and and so I have history with you, but your stories about your mom, I'm not, I'm not sure you want to talk about them and how <laughs> she deals with you. I just want to know what she said when you got kicked out the first time because you know, like there's that book out there, like Tiger Mom or whatever, about moms that are kind of hard on their kids in a good way. But um, I think your mom was kind of the reason why you're here today, you know, with a, a red hat. Man, so my mom, <laughs> I love that woman to death. And I'm super glad that she treated me the way she did because it definitely got me ready for, like, being in the military. Not really dealing with, like, the training instructors at BMT, but, like, actual instructors at courses. Because, like, some of the stuff that was said to me, I was like, oh, come on. That's the best you got, you know? I grew up with my mom. But when I got kicked out of Florida, I, I, well, you know, I got to keep it clean on this podcast. But she said some things that were, uh, whew. I, I think one of them was, like, do you somehow manage to effing find a way to F every effing thing up or something like that? <laughs> I mean, that's like, I'm keeping it like real G rated with some, yeah. but, uh, you can curse. It's just, we have a jar. You have to put a dollar in, but well, <laughs> what I'm, what I'm hearing from you, man, is like, you had, you had all these struggles, right? You end up leveraging your natural talent, uh, as a swimmer and as a coach. And, you know, you started, you know, you got away from that, from that first, you know, with help of your mom, obviously who had to give you some tough love, but like, for who you were going to be today. And it's funny to hear, you know, you say that she set you up for those challenges that you're going to deal with in the pipeline, just by giving you some of that honest feedback and some of that, some tough love at, at points. Do you think that that helped you throughout your entire pipeline? Like I would assume that it did. Right. 
Oh, a hundred percent. You know, even, I mean, obviously a lot of this goes back to swimming, but like when I would go best time, like the fastest I've ever gone in any event, she would be like, well, you still screwed this up. You could have gone faster. And <laughs> that kind of like that, you know, like you breathed inside the flags or whatever, you know, and, and stuff like that. That's like kind of technical swimming stuff that doesn't really apply to the military. But she, she always taught me that, you know, like you could always do better. Like, you know, there's always going to be a bigger dog. There's always going to be a faster guy. Um, you know, who's going to try and like take you down. And, and that, that helped me a lot in my swimming career, especially in college where I saw a lot, of, a lot more of my success. Um, and then that carried on through into the military where it's like, dude, it never stops. Like you always have to be working. It never ends. Yeah. I mean, that, 100%. I would argue like, like you say, it doesn't really, you know, the breathing between the flags doesn't pertain to the military, but I think it 100% does not, not just the military and aspect war, but, but life in general. I mean, it, all of those, it's a discipline and efficiency and understanding that you're going to go through things that are hard, whether it's aspect war, military, or just life. Like think you don't just coast through life, no matter who you are. And I think all of that, like all of that training that you went through, whether it's, you know, the, and I know that's a silly, silly reference, but the breathing between flags, the focus level that you were able to have, even though you kind of, kind of got in some trouble here and there. Right. But, um, you know, and, and also pushing past that pain threshold, like there are times in life where like, you really don't want to, there's something that needs to be done that you just don't want to do, but you've got to do it because it has to get done. Whether it's, um, you know, man, I don't really feel good. I don't really feel like going to work. Um, so I'm just not going to go and then you get fired and then you can't pay your bills and then you get kicked out of your house and you can't feed your family. I mean, it, like all of those little things translate into success later on. And I ran over. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, you're spot on, you know, like, uh, you can, you can break it down to anything really. It's, I mean, yeah, going in, especially in this job, you know, uh, a small detail like that, you're exhausted, you know, uh, all you want to do is finish it, get the job done. But a small detail like breathing inside the flags when when you're just physically drained, that can apply to talking to aircraft. That can apply to, I don't know, doing anything with casts, shooting. If you're doing the wrong things, you're going through a building, you know, doing CQB training like, oh, I'm tired. You know, I don't want to lift up this heavy rifle because I've been carrying it for three days and I've been up for, you know, 48 hours or whatever. It's, it's, it's the, it's the small details that really play into it, especially in this job where stuff can really go haywire. For sure. So we got baby Jeb out of the way and we got swimmer of the decade out of the way. What's cool. Did you get swimmer of the decade from? I just want to make sure we get that out there. Florida Southern. <laughs> Florida Southern student uh, swimmer of the decade. Fantastic. But all of these things kind of set you up and, and how weird was it for you showing up on that pool deck day one, not as you know, instructor, not as prep, you know, writer, not as world-class, you know, swimmer of the decade, decade at Florida Southern, but you showed up as a student. What was that first day like at, you know, assessment selection or NDOC or, or which one did you go through? Did you go through NDOC? So I was, I was, uh, I don't know. Do you call it the legacy? Is that a thing? We can, if you last, want, we can call it whatever you want. The last, uh, six class going through. Okay. I had the got old it. Time, um, 
But yeah, they didn't care. I mean, for the most part, it was it was pretty like, oh, hey, there's a swim coach coming through the pipeline, you know. So uh, the two weeks at Medina um, for combat control selection course were were pretty brutal. A lot of the that's where I got my first taste of like, um, oh, this is just like growing up with my mom, you know, like some of the mean stuff you guys say to me, like, oh, this this ain't nothing. Um, but uh, you know. Uh, did you feel like you were prepared for the pipeline better? Because you, because you, do you feel like you were prepared for the pipeline better? Like, did you have a good idea of what it is that you were supposed to be doing when you got to CCSC? Did anything surprise you? Um, I, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I I wouldn't say it surprised me. Um, I did. There were some things that I didn't expect. Uh, I did, a, I did a pretty good job of not trying to go, uh, at when, you know, before I joined, not trying to go introduce myself. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to be labeled as like, you know, friendly with the cadre or anything like that, or get any, um, behind the scenes looks at what to expect. Uh, I really just wanted to be, you know, one of the guys, but there were still, you know, there were dudes that I coached who like, as when I showed up, like, whoa, is that coach Halfacre? Is that you? <laughs> Bro, oh my God, you're <laughs> crazy! I heard about you. Yeah, well, uh, when you went through the uh, the prep course, I know the the staff there. We had you came up in meetings a lot, and we had to talk about it. You know, it's like one of those things. You were part of the staff, and then a couple weeks later, I guess eight weeks later, after you made it through BMT, you showed up as a student. We'd be like, "Hey guys, uh, candidate Halfacre is not Jeb anymore. <laughs> not yet again." You know what I mean? Like. So like we had to be very careful to just like kind of ignore you unless you did something wrong uh, to, you know, get you out of our hair. I think we were pretty friendly. Right. And then, you know, see you as a student. I just like yeah. walk past you. That 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 was unusual because I was at least expecting like maybe like, like a wink or like a little you know, elbow nudge. But you guys did a really good job of making me feel like a POS. <laughs> Well, and it's too, though, like, you're not the only coach we had. Uh, when we first started, there was another swim coach who I think already had a uh, uh, contract with the Marine Corps. I think we've had a few more coaches. One of the one of the things that people don't understand is, yeah, people show up for these coaching jobs and, and they see the pipeline and they see, you know, the instructors. And we all start socializing and uh, we, we get a fair number of these guys to to join up and go through the pipeline. But what, what was it? Was it? What was it for you? Like, it's just weird because you, you were at NSW prep, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You didn't become a SEAL, which all I heard from like that story about uh, WaterCon is that the Air Force is harder than the SEALs. I don't know. That's what I heard. WaterCon, yeah, 100%. 100%. And then you, you know, but like, what, what was the difference that, that made you want to be a combat controller versus a Navy SEAL uh, without, you know, saying anything too negative about our, our sister service homies? Oh, man. All right. Without that. Um well, some of the instructors that were up there, uh, man, I'm trying not to name names here, but there was one instructor who's pretty famous. He loves to run. All right. Who's going to carry the boats? You know, hey, if, it, um, if it helps you with uh, Aaron people out, nobody actually listens to this podcast. So you can just say their name. It's like, yelling, <laughs> it's like yelling his name in a forest, right? Like if I just went to the Pacific Northwest and just screamed it, it's the same. So don't worry. Well, so I became, I became pretty close with, uh, with Goggins up there and he kind of talked me through it. He was the first one that was like, dude, 
F being a SEAL, man, with your swimming background, you need to be a PJ. Those guys, those guys are epic, badass, man. Little did he know. Little did he know. And uh, so I looked into it and I was like, oh, I don't know, chief, you know, like maybe, like we'll see. And then I, I think we were on a run when we were talking about this. This dude like grabbed me out of class and was like, hey, we're going for a run. And I was expecting maybe like a four, five mile run, nothing too crazy. We ended up running like 10 miles at like 630, right? Or like some crazy pace, which being a swimmer, you know, I'm not inclined to be a runner. So I was like, I was freaking dying. And I was just trying to keep up with him. But what I didn't realize at the time was like, I was just barely ahead of him. And he didn't like that. So he kept dropping the pace down farther and farther and farther. Uh, I think I ended up like throwing up and pooping my pants that day. But anyways, yeah, he's the one that told me like, hey, you probably don't want to be a SEAL man. Like, you know, checked out to Air Force. And that was always in the back of my mind. Um, but actually joining up with without getting too off the rails here. Uh, I've always been a huge plane nerd, right? Like I used to go to air shows growing up all the time. I can identify all kinds of planes. Um, and then seeing that this job, you can actually, you can actually work with aircraft. You can talk to them, you know, you can, and, and, and the skill set is just so cool. Right. Um, from all, from all the, all the things you're able to do as a, as a combat controller just really drew me towards it. Um, you know, setting up airfields, going in behind enemy line, like just all the core skills. If that's all we did, I would be, I'm, I'd be totally happy, which I obviously I am. But, um, man, talking about that run and pooping my pants really like. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll help you out here. Since, but I'm, I'm with you. I can relate to the whole uh, working on planes. Like I love planes too. And I love the, the concept of flight and all that kind of stuff. So that, that kind of calls to me a little bit with there. And if you guys haven't checked it out uh, for the listeners, you know, uh, we did a deep dive series on global access, preci- uh, precision strike and personnel recovery. So make sure you check those out, but um, touching more on your swimming. And I like, just because I'm interested in it. I, I grew up swimming too, but I was terrible at it. I was always really, really slow, but I was always very comfortable in the water. Um, when, and I don't want to go into necessarily some of the workouts that you did because that's, that's insane. But like a lot of people that are listening, understand that you're, you know, the, the level of a swimmer that you actually were and probably, I mean, you probably still are. I mean, I bet you can go out there and crush the majority of people that are even in the pipeline right now. But, um, what are the, some of the things that really helped benefit you during that swimming? Like, um, obviously nutrition recovery and that kind of stuff, but what are some of the other key things that, that you took with you into the pool that helped you out? Are you asking like how some of the things transferred from my swimming career into training for the military? Yeah. I mean, admittedly, that is a really crappy question. I just asked you. (laughs) So, so like I, I'm still working on my Joe Rogan interviews here, but uh, yeah. that that kind of thing like what what did you work on like if if i were going going to into the pool and i'm a potential candidate like what are some of the like the top two or three basic things that i can work on that will help me like foundationally improve 
Number one, treading. Just because you're a really great swimmer, well, just because I'm a great swimmer does not make me good at treading. Like there, that was nothing I did ever wanted to do. The leg movement, breaststroke was my worst stroke. I think I almost went backwards. Like so that that movement of just treading was something I definitely had to work on as I was uh, training for it. Um, making sure your your stroke is is good. Uh, I, one thing I saw a lot was uh, dropping of the elbows, right? So, you know, obviously that comes second nature to me because of my swimming background, but as someone who is, is not necessarily like physically inclined in the water, um, dropping your elbows, losing, losing like all your power from, from your arm and not, not fully engaging and using it as sort of like an oar, right? So when you drop your elbow, all you're using is your hand. A lot of people don't realize you can use your entire arm to propel yourself through the water. And if that, if you work on that with freestyle, uh, underwaters, right? So that pullout movement, a lot of dudes drop their elbows with that. Um, that's the biggest thing I saw. Dude, can you do your, your underwater demonstration real quick? Cause this, when you did this on the pool deck, it changed my life. And one of the, the high points of my entire life is when I did an underwater after taking your advice and you were like, you have a, you have really good form on your underwaters. And I was like, thanks man. <laughs> I learned, I've been doing this wrong for like 15 years and like one pool session with you and you explained it and it like clicked in my brain and my underwaters got way better, like pretty deep in my career. You know what I mean? I'm going to have to shake the cobwebs off on this one. Um, yes. Sorry. Sorry for interrupting. No, I like, I, I was actually kind of hoping that you would ask the same thing. Like, like, well, shit, I've been doing, uh, you know, 12 to 15 strokes to get across the pool. Um, that's probably not very efficient. In fact, I know it's not efficient. So yeah, if you can, if you can demonstrate, that'd be amazing. Okay. Well, uh, I'll try. Um, as you pull up, right. What a lot of people want to teach at first is the hourglass, right? You don't want to do that. So you pinching your elbows up so that you're thinking about getting out of the pool, right? So when you get out of the pool, you're not going to drop your elbows so that you come down and you kind of look like a, a cat drinking milk. You know what I mean? So you're going to keep your elbows up to lift yourself out. That's what that's going to do is it's going to, it's going to help you use your hands, your forearms, and as well as your upper part of your arm to engage and use as a paddle. And as you're coming down, you're going to come all the way through and you're going to push through and follow the natural arm movement, not necessarily following the hourglass movement because from, from moving water, it just doesn't make sense to like bring your hands in and do this thing, go in and out. Like it just, so not the keyhole, not, not doing a keyhole, the keyhole, not yeah, the keyhole stroke. Like it, it doesn't make sense to go out and then come back in. What you need to do, you need to push water back from exactly like where you need to go. So you're not going to push out because you're not going in. So and you're not going to bring your hands back in towards the center of your body because you're just wasting energy. Um, the biggest, now I got to go get in a pool. Yeah, the biggest thing is just imagine like you're you're lifting yourself up out of the pool and you're pushing down. That's that's the easiest way for me that I saw a lot of dudes have a click in their head with getting their uh, their form down with underwaters. What about uh, what about the kick? 
man. So the kick, uh, like I said, I'm not, I'm not real good on, on the breaststroke kick. So I kind of alternated in between sort of like a weird sideways scissor kick while keeping my chest flat. Um, a scissor kick was super powerful, you know, it's kind of like a underwater creature with that. But, uh, no, I mean, my, my, like, no kidding. The, the whole breaststroke kick or the frog kick or whatever is my, like mine is super weak. Uh, and in fact, I, I would, I would argue that most of my underwater and my freestyle is, is all arms, which is from what I've been told is not great because, you know, it's, it's more tiring. Um, and it's less efficient, at least from what I've been told that, um, like, like I'm, I'm guilty of that too. So. The thing is, is it's it's weird, right? When when you're training for something like this, you don't necessarily need to have an incredibly strong kick. Um, you just need to have a kick that's efficient enough to keep your hips up towards the surface so that you stay flat through the water. What I see a lot of guys doing is they don't have a strong kick and they also don't engage their abs, which causes them to sink down and swim almost at a 45 degree angle through the water. Um, you kind of want to be like a I don't know if anybody here, you know, is a bass fisherman or a fisherman of any kind, but like you, you imagine like you want to get up on plane, like when the boat starts to flatten out, um, that's the most efficient way you're going to swim through the water. So as long as you keep your hips up towards the surface, have a decently strong kick, uh, and, and, and an efficient stroke, you're, you're going to be fine. Um, Those uh, for those people out there that don't have an efficient stroke, they don't have any, any good kicks. Are there, are there any good programs that you have? Because we get asked a couple a couple questions all the time, right? We're just going to hit you with FAQs now, right? And the first one that we always get is, hey, I'm a terrible swimmer and I want to get better, but I don't have any coaches around me or I can't afford it. Or do you know of any free online programs? Do you know of anywhere where they can go to really get better with some online coaching? So uh, on YouTube, there's a Speedo has a, a bunch of cool videos that we use in the prep course um, that that show Ryan Lochte and, and Michael Phelps doing their stroke. Um, even though you know, like you can you can break it down and just absorb the breaststroke kick portion of it or the freestyle. Um, but uh, another good uh, program. I think it's called immersion and they specifically talk about uh, combat side stroke um, and as well as freestyle and that really breaks it down in terms of like a non swimmer being able to understand it right so like when I was a prep we would show the video of the speedo guys but then I would break it down so that it wasn't you know just some guy with a cool voice talking about how smooth Ryan Lochte's stroke is you know <laughs> <laughs> that had to be a nice break of the day for the students. That is to have have somebody with a nice deep velvety voice telling them about the keyhole stroke. That's got to be great. Yeah, and then they got my you know toucan sounding face coming up here. <laughs> You're doing great, baby Jeb. Uh, the other question that we get is, hey, you know, because of COVID or because of you know staffing shortages or whatever, I can't get to the pool. And I'm sure you guys dealt with this. You know, you've you've been living that life all the way through the pipeline and what, what's some advice you would give to somebody hey i can't get to a pool i can't get in and actually do some swimming what are some drills that i can do what are some cardio things that i can do that'll that'll help me become a better swimmer even if i'm not technically in the water oh uh man so just building up those muscles i, I would say one of the things we did was you get some surgical tubing put some handles with like a grommet on there tie a knot through it tie it to like your garage door or something like that 
and just kind of see yourself working through the stroke. And then it all, instead of doing it just like with only your hands, you can feel what it's like to have resistance. Oh. Um, you know, they, yeah, the surgical tubing, I think makes a huge, makes a huge difference. That's, that's the number one thing that comes to my mind. If you can't get to a pool. Thing I didn't, I didn't even think about that because you're actually working on the stroke and feeling the the resistance stuff like that. Like what I've been saying, uh, right, wrong, or indifferent is just like because most people are worried about their, you know, aerobic capacity or their cardiovascular capacity um, with the swimming. Because I mean, even now I could be in the most shape I can possibly be in, and I go at the beginning of a fifteen hundred meter swim or something like that. Those first two hundred hurt really bad. Um, until I find that, yeah, there, it's terrible until I find that, that breathing rhythm, you know, and, and get my heart rate stabilized. But like, I've always been telling people, Hey, if you can't get to a pool, like you absolutely cannot, um, go out and run or or bike or do whatever to, um, increase your cardiovascular level. And then also like kind of free diving apps to help breath holds, but that's not necessarily for swimming. That's more for water con type thing. Right. Um, yeah, there's the, uh, yeah, it, with, with swimming, I mean, like you said, you can be super physically fit. Um, you know, you can run multiple, multiple six minute miles or whatever. Um, and then guys say like, Oh, well, my cardiovascular base is not strong enough for swimming. It's like, that's not the case at all. It's just, it's all about efficiency in the water. I mean, when you watch Phelps swim, he makes it look easy, right? And that's because he is so efficient. He knows exactly what he needs to do. Um, and you can it, you can switch it back the other way, right? Most swimmers are not land animals. So when they run, their knees are knocking together and they're like, oh, I can't run. My cardiovascular level is not good for running. It's like, well, be, it's because you run like a baby horse that, you know, is learning how to walk. Nice. It has nothing to do with your cardiovascular system. It's You look ridiculous. So I'm completely wrong when I say that. <laughs> That's totally okay. A lot of it does have to do with warming up, right? So I'm the same way. You know, if I want to get in and swim, it takes me a while to like loosen up my shoulders. And then, you know, like I said, I'm not a land mammal. So it takes me, if I want to run, I got to expect like a freaking mile and a half long warm up, which is like the worst because, you know, by the end of that, you're like, man, I'm done. You know, being controllers, like all we want to do is ruck. Well, I don't want to run. <laughs> so we, we kind of talked about it earlier too, but some things that'll help you be more efficient in the pool. And we're talking specifically assessment and selection now. And you mentioned treading. I think something that people don't understand is you're never touching the bottom of the pool. Like in assessment and selection, there's very few times where touching the bottom of the pool is okay. Like during any of these things. And if you can't tread and you can't sit on the top of the water and efficiently just sit there while even a, a an instructor talks to you, and I know I would do it. I, I know Trent does it because Trent is a sadomasochist, but you know I would t- just talk to students that were having a hard time treading, and I would have like extended conversations. One because I like to hear myself talk, but two is because you can watch them during the course of that thirty seconds, that minute, that minute and a half, just become more and more tired from treading. How did you learn those treading skills? Like you said, you were never familiar with the egg beater before, and we we agree that it's a pretty it's a skill that you really need to have, right? So how did you did you teach yourself? Did you learn? you know, at school or, or how'd you, how'd you overcome that challenge? So you start off with the egg beater, right? Where they say, you know, just move your, uh, move your, move your feet counterclockwise and, or opposite, you know, oscillating directions and 
kind of keep uh, keep your your femurs stable or in the same spot. That didn't really work for me, especially being you know 205 pounds at the time. Um, you know, I like a rock. So what I had to do is I had to you know it, it, the same concept applies to your arms when you're swimming. I had to use my entire leg and kind of figure out a weird way to bring my heels up to my butt kind of internally rotate my leg out from my hip and then engage my whole leg to come all the way down and do that. And it just, it was hours and hours and hours of practice after work, you know, at prep, all you want to do is go home because you're tired from working out with students all day and being on the pool that coaching in the hot Texas sun. And, uh, you know, just, it just takes commitment on working at it and, you know, don't get frustrated. You're going to get frustrated but not too and uh yeah i mean you will eventually figure it out and if worse comes to worse get really good at the scissor kick <laughs> just try harder <laughs> if yeah. you can't if you can't do it efficiently then your effort needs to go through the roof you know but and if you can't you know blow through it you better do your best to push that brick wall down yeah well and, and speaking of pushing things down i think there, there are a few times uh that that things in the, the pool started to make sense to me, right? And one of them was when you explained underwaters to me, but that also clicked into uh, the treading, where where are you pushing directionally in the water with your entire leg? Like, where, where's that water going? Because I think we all have a tendency, or at least I have a tendency to, to learn a technique and initially not think about why that technique works uh, in the beginning in, until I figure it out. Right. And then once it's explained to me, like, oh, you're pushing the water this direction and this direction that keeps you, you know, uh, up above the water. Uh, so I think thinking those things through, and I think one of the things that we all have is we've, we've spent time watching people in the pool. So I would say, if you're out there training, get a training buddy or go out there with your, your uh, development group and spend a little bit of time watching people. I think that's incredibly helpful is because you can see the mistakes that they're making. And as you try to help them fix their mistakes and shore up their weaknesses. I, I mean, and maybe I'm wrong, but as an instructor or cadre member, that definitely helps me out is, is watching other people, you know, try struggle and then figure out the process together and why all these things work or don't work. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Watching other people, having a buddy there with you, even uh, I think one thing that helped me a lot was like having someone film you, right? Because you, I mean, I, it, it, it happens in weightlifting all the time, right? You think you're doing something, you know, you're trying to do a snatch or a clean or something. And you're like, yeah, I'm doing that. Like, you know, well, I don't know what you're talking about. And then they, you get filmed and you're like, Oh, my arm is way over here. My knees aren't shooting out far. Something like that. Um, that happens a lot with treading, especially in the water. Cause it's not everybody's like comfortable medium to be in, you know? So Filming yourself, seeing what you're doing, knowing that you need to, if you need to stay up, you need to push water down instead of out, you know, because all that, all you're doing is wasting energy. Uh, everything in the pool is about being efficient. Yeah. And I think that the rhythm thing also helps. I remember the, the first time that I it clicked in my head for just regular surface swimming freestyle is when I realized that it's just exercise and the same type of rhythm that I get while I'm running. I can achieve that rhythm. Like we, we already talked about it a little bit, but these are just like the little switches that have clicked in my head over the years is when I realized that swimming is just, it's just like running. It's just exercise. And as soon as you get that rhythm and that efficiency down, it becomes way less scary. You overcome that fight or flight mentality. 
uh, or that that system in your head, as soon as you put your face in the water, that freaks out and says, I'm going to die if I don't keep moving. And so you start thrashing. But like, I think once I overcame that and, and flipped that switch and said, this is just exercise and stayed calm about it, everything kind of fell into place, which which led to, uh, you know, further and further success and allowing me to think about why I'm doing things instead of just blindly uh, doing things and, and and hoping that I'm successful. Right. Yeah. 100%. I mean, people have been swimming for thousands of years, like, you're not going to die. <laughs> it's okay. Just you're, you're in four feet deep pool, you know, like it'll be all right. Yeah. Somebody, somebody's going to pull you out for sure. Um, one of the questions I had, and you don't have to uh, take it out, but would you recommend um, riding any kind of electric scooters or anything like that while in the pipeline? Absolutely not. You can't trust drivers. Um, especially, you know, don't catch yourself. Don't use your teeth to catch yourself on the road. I'll tell you that much. I mean, you say you say it like it's uh, from experience or something like that. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Quit it. Quit. Leave leave the man alone. Leave the man alone, dude. Yeah, I'm over here with audio problems, so maybe you guys covered it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I just wanted to know. Uh, like, last real question about training and all that is is coming from the water, being a water animal, as you went through the entire pipeline, uh, everybody's going to want to know what's the hardest part, you know, what, what did you struggle with the most and, uh, and have overcome that, you know, minus the, the water stuff. Oh man. Hardest part. Um, probably the hardest part is just kind of keeping your wits about you when you're sleep deprived. That was the hardest part for me. It was like, you know, especially being, being an athlete, really taking care of your body, you know, getting, uh, getting proper nutrition, the right amount of rest and sleep, like throughout my whole life and, and career of swimming, uh, having that completely turned on its head was just wild, uh, and working through that, but, um, just having the grit to just get through it, you know, like it will end. That was one thing that I told myself probably a lot through some of the smoke sessions I got was like, oh, my God, like, man, this is brutal. Like, all right, well, it's going to end soon. Like, you know, I got class. I got class at nine or whatever. And it's like, holy crap, it's 1030. What are we still doing here? <laughs> what are we still doing here? But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. There's there's it's the hardest part that I, I you can't really you can't really nail it down to one thing. Um, you know, everything's, everything's different from day to day, whether you're, whether you're sleepy, whether you're, you know, thirsty, you're cramping up. Um, you know, you're hungry. You got the, the, the rub rash from the ruck, you know, um, you know, your, your calluses are ripped open from getting sweating all day and all night. You have a huge hole in your hand. I mean, I got freaking holes in my hand right now. So uh, yeah, you just gotta you just gotta get through it and and know that it's gonna end. I can't really nail it down to like what's the hardest thing, but I'll tell you the pool was the easiest. <laughs> it's the exact opposite of almost everybody else. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I think you probably had a little bit of extra pressure because you know you'd work within the pipeline and kind of told us all that you were you know doing this. So 
I don't know. For, for me, it was is incredibly gratifying when you got your beret because then I didn't have to worry about it anymore and we could, you know, speak again. Well, so. I'll, I'll tell you what. Yeah, there I, there were definitely times where I, I I definitely thought about, you know, not quitting, but I was like, man, dude, like this really sucks right now. I got to get through this or else Trent's going to call me some words. You know, I'm never going to be able to look him in the eyes again. Yeah, no, I think that's, 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 that's some good pressure. Oh, I mean, I, I, I'd be nice-ish about it. Well, maybe. I don't know. So I'm a pretty nice guy. But I think uh, I think that's it, Jeb, unless you have uh, uh, anything else that you want to put out there for the potential candidates or, or people thinking about getting in or any of the, the water creatures out there. Last words of advice. Water creatures, learn to run. Eat meat or something. I don't know. Don't be, uh, don't be built like a swimmer. Luckily, I, I had the genetics to not, not, you know, I'm a pretty big dude. I'm like... <laughs> 2.30 right now. So, um, but I was, I was a big boy in swimming, eat some meat, keep your head down low. Um, you know, just train, be, uh, work on being the quiet professional that you need to be. Uh, no one on the internet cares about what workout you did that day. Uh, uh, no instructors care what workout you did or who you are, whether you're a swim coach or, you know, Olympic trial, whatever. No one cares. Just get the job done. Um, keep your head down and take it through. That's 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 the best piece of advice I can give. No one no one cares. <laughs> no one cares. That's, that's that's true. All right. Well, hey man, we really appreciate you coming on. It's good to see you again. And uh, as we wrap up, I'm going to start cleaning some of these uh, names up off the floor. You know, Goggins, Lochteen, Phelps. Uh, it, it might take me a while to to go throw them somewhere. Also, swimmer <laughs> of the decade. Uh, just light flexes throughout throughout the podcast. But uh, th- everybody, thanks for listening and uh, tuning in. Make sure you go out there and leave us a review uh, on Apple or anywhere else. And uh, we'll catch you all next time. Train hard. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks, guys.